Program. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The scripture tells us that we are lively stones, that we're lively stones being mortared together, patched together to build into a house for the Lord, that God does not live in temples made with hands. He never did. He never did even back in the days of Moses building the tabernacle or the days of Solomon uh, building the first temple or the days of uh, Herod the Great rebuilding the temple uh, or even in today's day with the expectation of the rebuilding of a temple. Those temples, indeed, Jesus himself said it was his house. But on the other hand, he doesn't live in temples made with hands. So today on Viewpoint, we're talking about you, about me, those who profess the name of Christ, in a group of people collectively known as the church. And as a people collectively known as the church, living stones being built up into a tabernacle for the Lord, where he lives in and through us and among us. Question, how then should we live as living stones? How then should we live as living stones in America? Does our living in America change the definition of how we should be living as those living stones or not? And how about if we had been in Israel with the election that just took place, a dramatic change in leadership in Israel, so much so that the Jewish people around the world, particularly in America, are saying, oh, we're not too happy. We're going to change our giving patterns because we don't like a conservative government. How about in America? What kind of government do we have today? Is it a government of living stones or not? Is it a government that even comes close to pretending a government of godly living stones? Most would say no. But why is that? And do we expect our government to be the same as the living stones of the church? Today on Viewpoint, we're going to have a a conversation uh, with a millennial guest. We're just coming right out front. He's 32 years of age, and he is a very smart and perceptive person. We're deciding to bring him on today on this program because he has the courage and the will to look at things perhaps in ways that many of us are not willing to do, to look at our church, our churches, to look at us as Christians, and to look at us as Americans. Today, his book, Brick by Brick, he says, we're reconstructing the deconstructed. Well, in order to reconstruct, there must be a deconstruction or a destruction. So today on Viewpoint, I hope you will listen with an open heart and an open mind. You may hear some things that are troubling. You may hear some things that you're going to have to think about. I hope you will. We're not here to preach today. We're here to present and to, shall we say, pierce the veil 
in the field of law, we have a doctrine called piercing the veil. That sounds spiritual, doesn't it? You see, there are areas in which a corporation, for instance, will think it's insulated, insulated from the law, insulated from anybody looking inside the corporation as to what's going on. But then there's a doctrine that says under certain circumstances, you can pierce the corporate veil. Today, we're going to pierce the corporate veil, the veil of the church, the living stones, and find out whether we're living as living stones, or maybe, maybe they're bricks that are broken and need to be replaced, and that we need some pointing up of the bricks in order for the church to be and become what God wants it to be on the near edge of the second coming. So I want to introduce to you Trevor Whitman, the author of Brick by Brick, Reconstructing the Deconstructed. He's coming from Tacoma, Washington, the place where my wife was born. Trevor, it's good to have you on the program. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chuck. Really looking forward to the conversation. Well, so far it hasn't been a conversation. It's been a monologue, and that's all right, because when you're having a long program, uh, as a former trial lawyer, uh, I was accustomed to make an opening statement. The court gives you an opportunity to make an opening statement to set the stage for what it is you're going to present in terms of evidence, documentary, and testamentary, uh, testimonial. And so that's what we're doing here today. So... You're, give us a take on where you're coming from. I'm not talking about the Northwest. I'm talking about where you're coming from as one of the bricks or one of the, shall we say, living stones within the church. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love how you set the stage, Chuck. I think you did a great job. And, uh, and I'll try to do a similar opening statement here. <laughs> but I, I do want to always start with the outset for people to understand where I'm coming from, which is that I love the Church. I have a heart for the Church, I love the Church, Mm -hmm. um, and I I have a deep desire to see the Church operating at its most most healthy way possible. Well, I can can just admit from the get-go, that is the spirit that I picked up in reading your book, and that's why I brought you on. Because instead of trying to debunk, there's an attitude that comes with debunking. It's a rebellious attitude. Right. I did not pick up a rebellious attitude, but an insightful and uh, an attitude willing to take a serious look at whether or not we're really following the ways of the Lord. Exactly right. And, and my hope is is not that you'll just agree with everything that I have to say. I think how you said it was really appropriate, which is, you know, people listening to this program uh, might disagree with the things that I say or the viewpoints that I have that that I talk about within Brick by Brick. But the hope of that book is not for people to hear it or read it and say, oh, this is what Trevor is saying, and this is exactly how the Church is supposed to be. It's more or less trying to start the conversation within local congregations, where it's saying, hey, let's talk about these 13 topics that are you know, really difficult, like you talked about, you and I talked about before the program, that these are talking about topics that a lot of people within the Church are afraid to have. And so yeah. my hope, yeah, my hope is, is that in people reading this book, it'll give them some thought-provoking content that will start really healthy congregational conversations, especially amongst the leadership, to see, hey, are there adjustments that we need to make 
that would glorify the Lord? Or does it just affirm what we're already doing and feeling really good about the direction that we're heading in those specific areas? And those are both great. The, the entirety of the book is meant to just be a starting place for a conversation while looking at it through a biblical lens. You know, so we're addressing bigger topics, and in each one of these topics, I'm talking about a vast majority of, you know, what does Scripture say about this, or how does this, uh, you know, what is this approach, or how does this exactly look, and doing it through the lens of, I really want to edify the body. And so for me, that's where I'm, that's where I'm coming from, and I really hope that this conversation has that similar tone yeah. to it. All right. We're going into the first break here, friends. We're going to be talking about a lot of things. We're going to be talking about celebrity pastors. We're going to be talking about political alignment. Are we a nation under God? Are we a Christian nation? We'll be back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. What do we expect from our churches? What do we expect when we ourselves are the church, or at least a small cog, a living stone, forming that church? What is the church anyway? What does God expect from his church? It's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church. Maybe we shouldn't even be talking about my church. Maybe we should be talking about the congregation that I attend. In fact, very seldom do I use the word church other than with regard to the greater universal church, God's church. And there's a reason for that. Because you and I do not own the church. The church is the collective followers of Jesus Christ. What is expected of us as collective followers of Jesus Christ? How are we to deal with, for instance, issues of race? when in fact, God only created one race, the human race. So how are we to deal with issues of race, when race is talked about everywhere? How are we to deal with issues of leadership within the broader body of Christ? How are we to deal with issues of spiritual gifts and empowerment? Political alignment. How about the prosperity gospel and consumerism? All of those things we're going to be talking about, at least to some extent, here on the program today. And conversation may actually pierce deeply into and through the corporate veil, shall we say, of how we see church and how we do it. So we'll begin today because we are in a situation now facing an election in just six days or so, five or six days. It is deemed to be, some would say, the most important midterm election ever, or at least in a very long time. That's coming from both Republicans and Democrats, which dramatically divide the country. So if we're a Christian country, how is it 
that we're so dramatically divided. That's the interesting thing. Can we be a Democrat and a Christian? Democrats, Nancy Pelosi said, how in the world can a person legitimately vote Republican? She said, I don't get it. That's right, she just said that this week. So how is it that we're so dramatically divided if indeed we're a Christian nation or if indeed a a major portion of we the people are practicing genuine disciples of Christ? That's the one I want to throw at my friend here, the author of the book Brick by Brick, Trevor Whitman. Trevor, we've got a problem. Don't we? Well, I think how we're even framing this conversation is a, is a good place to start, Chuck. Um, in my book, I, I discussed that, you know, and this is going to be, <laughs> we're going to start off right here, uh, is that this nation is not a Christian nation. All so right. Now, mean, that's a statement yes. that you're making. It's a yes. declaration. Yes. And uh, I would say it depends on where you begin the discussion. If you begin the discussion at the political founding of the nation in 1776 or 1790-89 with the Constitution, I could understand where you would come from and say that. Yeah. If you begin the nation in 1607 and 1620 and 1630, I would profoundly disagree with you. Sure. Well, and, that's, and that is a good place to start, right, is historically looking at who formed this nation and, and what was the, you know, the birthing place of, you know, this country, especially, you know, on the East Coast. And for me, when I'm looking at it through history, it looks like to me, when you see that the majority of the people that signed the Declaration of Independence were Freemasons, right? They weren't even people that claimed Christ. And we do have uh, you know, like you said in the intro, is that we do have a large percentage. If you look at the percentages of who follows what religion in this country, it is by and large Christian. Mm-hmm. And so, is it made up of a, a larger, you know, percentage-wise of Christianity? Absolutely. There's no de- no. There's no debate about that. All right. So we would have the same kind of discussion with regard to Israel. Is Israel a Jewish nation? Well, what would your answer be? <laughs> so it was. So I would say that Israel is God's chosen nation, as set out in Scripture, and is Jewish, but it's a different type. And the reason being is that when you look at how a government is set up, if you were to call us a Christian nation, that would mean that we are a theocracy. That would mean that God is directing the steps of our leaders where he did with Israel in the Old Testament, where God is giving directives, and those people are following those directives under his will and his guidance. All right, but and I'm I asking think... you a different question. Sure. Because I want to get you off a particular line and think a little bit more broadly about this. Is Israel a Jewish nation? You have to answer that question. Yeah, I think that I think Israel is a Jewish nation. Yeah, okay, absolutely. how can yeah. you say Israel is a Jewish nation when you just said that the foundation of that is that uh, it's a chosen nation ordained by God when two thirds of the people in Israel are secular? Yeah, great question. I think it looks. You look at the origination of the nation itself. 
Right? Ah, so, and so that's God, exactly why I said to yep. answer the question about whether America is a Christian nation, you have to look at the origin, yep. and the origin was not the political origin or the uh, the corporate origin in 1776 and 1789, but was in 1620, 1630, uh, with the Puritans and the Pilgrims. Well, not necessarily. I would say that the the origin and what you're relating it to is more of the spirit behind why people wanted to colonize and create a new country apart from England, and I would say that that's true. But when you're looking at the origin of Israel, where God literally set that up through the sons of Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel, we actually mm-hmm. can read word for word exactly where that country came right. from, and that God actually did lead that nation for a period of time. Well, isn't right? it interesting, if you read the words of John Winthrop, a godly attorney who brought load, four boatloads of Puritans over here in 1630, before they landed, he penned a model of Christian charity in which he declared Israel failed. Israel failed to obey God, but we as a Gentile people are going to do what they refuse to do. Not only that, we're going to do what the churches around the world, naming the name of Christ, have refused to do. We're going to live it out in truth. What would you call that? So for me, Chuck, I I think we gotta we gotta step back one second. I'll answer that question in just a moment. But I gotta ask you, uh, what makes a nation Christian? All right, I think that's going to help us. Well, that's a good question. What makes a nation Christian? I would say that. If you want to talk about the origins and the foundation, the basic foundation and the threads that have bound the nation together, that is what would define a Christian nation. If you want to name, is are the people living according to the ways of Christ, on the whole, I would say no. So it depends on what you're looking for. And what you're looking for as a millennial is... Are, is America, are the American people living according, overall living according to the ways of Christ? The answer is then absolutely not. America is not a Christian nation. If you mean that the nation is founded and the threads of that nation are woven throughout the entire fabric of the country as revealed by a secular Frenchman by the name of Alexis de Tocqueville, then you have to conclude America either was a Christian nation or still is because of its origins. Yeah, so so let me bring this back. So when I said earlier that the only way that you could even claim that uh, Israel is a Jewish nation is because God chose them, and they actually had a theocracy, right, where God for many generations was the king, and we, we read through First Kings of righteous kings and wicked kings, and God was the actual, you know, king before that when it was in the reign of judges. Well, right? here's so, the problem. Here's the problem, though, with what you're saying. And this is not an argument, friends. This is a discussion, yep. because this is a very big issue, even as we're looking at an election coming up. Our thinking needs to be completely cleansed of a lot of things, Otherwise, we argue back and forth and get nowhere. So, Yeah, clarification's good. (laughs) All right. If you go back to the judges, we find that every man was doing that which was right in his own eyes, not in God's eyes. Right. So even there, 
when God declared himself king, the people didn't declare God king. They didn't live according to God being king. Never did. So in reality, while it was supposed to be a theocracy, it wasn't. They did not live. And therefore, from that standpoint, if you're going to say America is not currently a Christian nation because we're not living fully according to Christ, then you would have to say that Israel never was truly a godly nation because they did not live according to God's precepts except with very small little representative times, maybe in the days of Josiah or Hezekiah. Sure. Well, Chuck, let me, I, I, think, you're, I think you're right on. And my, my point to all of that is that I actually don't even like the moniker when you say, hey, this is Christian music, or a Christian restaurant, or a Christian nation. The reality is the only thing that makes you a Christian is when individuals profess faith in Christ and then they live out the fruits of the Spirit through their life and actually have the fruit of being a believer. And okay. so what you're saying is totally, I agree with you, in that if you look at the fruit of this country, or in certain you know, parts of you know, Israel's history, yeah, you'd say, man, those weren't glorifying to God, they didn't have the fruits of the Spirit, they weren't doing the things of right. God. But the point that I'm trying to make is that God, when He created Israel through the tribes of Israel— when he created them, that was with the intention of saying he wanted to be their king. How do you know that wasn't the case with America? I mean, when George Washington, as uh, uh, head of the Revolutionary Army, General George Washington, had uh, completed his duties, they wanted to make him king. Right? And, And the response, he refused to be king. Then the people responded, we have no king but Jesus. What do you make of that? Well, that may have been the sentiment of what other people were saying, and you're right that our founding fathers had a different vision for how we were supposed to create this country. And the reality is, is they created this country to be a pluralistic society that wasn't led by a specific religion. Every time throughout history that we see a religion combined with a government, it always ends up poorly, whether that's for or against Christianity. You mean like Israel? Yeah, I, I do mean like Israel. Okay, when you look at okay. Christ, like we see, when we see that people are abusing the power that they have, that they claim that they have a supernatural power along with their power politically, we see massacres, right? We see that there have been nations created with other religions, not just Christianity, mm-hmm. that end up persecuting other people and murdering True. people. And if we're going to really go there, I mean, Hitler, when he took over Germany, he claimed to be a Christian. He claimed that he was, <laughs> he, he claimed that he was doing all kinds of things yeah. for the sake of God. We know that to be incorrect, right. but he went in there with that same mentality. Yeah. And so what I see is that the beautiful part of our country, Chuck, is that we all are free to worship whatever God that we want to. That's the Freemason review, by the way. And that we set, well, we, we all stand up, hopefully, we all stand up for each other's willingness mm-hmm. to worship other gods, because we have the freedom and the rights and the liberty to do that in this country. And we should, we should honestly stand up as citizens of this country and say, yes, I believe that anybody should be able to worship exactly how they want to, as long as it doesn't harm other people, that if they want to worship Buddha, if they want to worship, you know, Joseph Smith, they want to worship By the way, whoever, that is right the Freemason Bible. Review. That is the Freemason Review. Yeah. 
and precisely the, the Freemason country. Review. <laughs> right. So right. you de- was... you debunked the Freemasons at the foundation of the country, but now you've embraced the Freemason Review. No, so I, I didn't debunk. What I said was that it wasn't the, the the it's a misnomer to believe that this country was set up by all Christians to be a Christian nation. That when you look at the the large percentage of the people that signed the Declaration of Independence, that they were Freemasons. They weren't Christians, <clears throat> but when they did set up a country where Christians were free to worship the way that they wanted to, right? The whole point, Mm -hmm. or one of the main points of getting away from England, was so that they had the freedom to worship God how they wanted to, instead of being under the rule of Roman Catholicism, right? So so for us, what I want to really emphasize is that as Christians, we are called to live out our faith, but how our government operates should be separate from that. In other words... Christians should not have any import in the life of the government. Is that what you're saying? Okay, we're going into a break now. We're going to have to pick up from there. I understand the heart of what you're trying to say. Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org. And many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today we're having an interesting conversation with our friend Trevor Whitman with his book, Brick by Brick. And I want to make the book available to you because it deals with so, so many different kinds of issues that are probing uh, deep into our minds, our hearts, our motivations, what we think we're doing. Are we doing it according to God's will? And uh, $15 is going to put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Trevor, I'm looking at the back of your book. There is this, you, you appear to have your arms around a sweet, a beautiful young lady. How is it that God could bless you like that? I ask myself that question every day, my friend. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been married for eleven years, and uh-huh. we're twelve here in December. We've got three little minions at home uh, that keep us plenty busy. <laughs> How old are your little minions? I have uh, nine, six, and three. Well, you have a challenge on your hands. Uh, do you have them in public school? Do you have them in homeschool? What do you have? Yeah, we act- we actually are uh, homeschooling our children. Well, bless your ever-loving socks off. That's exactly where you need to be. Otherwise, they'd be of the world rather than just in the world. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Now, it seems to me I'm going to uh, make an effort to restate what I believe the heart of your message is with regard to our country or any country. And that is 
God wants us not only to profess to be Christians, but to be Christians. He wants us not only to profess the name of Christ, but to live like Christ. And only then can we individually be truly looked upon as Christian, and only then, if a nation collectively lives like that, could it possibly be truly understood today as a Christian nation. That's definitely that's definitely on the right track. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I've missed yes. the mark. No, you're fine. So let me let me just finish really quick. I think if I added one little added point here, I think that Go would for really it. help. I believe that Christians should be great citizens of this country. I encourage it. You should be right. out campaigning. You should vote. You should take advantage of every liberty given to you in this country mm-hmm. to be a good citizen. All right. What I'm trying to point out is this, and I think this really simplifies it. I believe that being a Christian should help me be the best citizen of this country, not the other way around, where I believe that being the best citizen possible will lead to some version of Christianity within this country. Absolutely. I agree with that wholeheartedly. So what I mean by this whole point, and, and what I bring up even in this book, is... It's not a bad thing to participate in our democracy, our, 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 our republic, however you want to describe it, mm-hmm. right? I don't, it's, it's a good thing for us to participate. However, it is not an end-all, be-all where if, you know, people are, are claiming that if certain people are elected on either side, right? And mm-hmm. I love how you pointed that out, um, where people have this extreme view of politics where they say if X, Y, and Z happens, then we're all doomed. And both yeah. sides do that. All right, and so the, you, I would yeah. call that savior politics. Yes. Yep. We're looking to politics to be our savior, our redeemer, our, our hope, uh, our shelter in the time to come, the very kinds of things that are ascribed to God. Right, and there's been some really alarming rhetoric where we have, we, we really only listen to the extreme parts, but I love, I, I love, um, using this that I've heard plenty of times is that the majority of the people, probably even the people listening to this right now, are what's called the exhausted majority. Right? <laughs> most, yeah. most people, most people that are listening, most people in this country, they just want to live in the freedoms that we have. They want to worship the God they want to worship. They want to go to work, live a good life, right? Save for retirement, right? They want to go live and just, and just be. And unfortunately, we have been divided more and more and more. And like you said earlier, you know, especially over the last six years, it feels that that wedge of division has increased more and more and more and more, where now you get rhetoric where people say, well, if you're a Democrat, you can't be a Christian. Or if you support Donald Trump, you can't be a Christian. Or if you write fill in the blank, all of a sudden mm-hmm. we're making these widespread judgments about how people can't be a Christian if they hold to certain values or vote for one political party. And the point of my book and in the two chapters that I talk about political alignment and then being one nation under God is simply this. We have one allegiance in this world, and that allegiance is to Jesus Christ first. Mm-hmm. Secondly, we are going to be good, faithful servants, or <laughs> faithful servants, faithful um, participants within our country's government. But when we look at Scripture, the majority of the Bible was written, you know, especially the New Testament, was written under Roman rule. You know, there, there is no place in the Bible that says that we must have religious liberty in order for us to profess our faith. In fact, it's the opposite. Jesus, he promises us that we're going to be persecuted. Paul promises that we're going to be persecuted. Peter 
promises we're going to be persecuted. And what I see in this in the current state of our country is there's a lot of Christians that have convinced themselves that they're being persecuted in this country because they're threatened by other people exercising their own faith of their own religion. But when we look at China, when we look at the Middle East, when we see believers that are having their heads cut off because they're Christians and they're professing Christ, and they can't even read their Bible in a public square where they have mm-hmm. to hide in underground bunkers to even read their Bible. To me, Chuck, I look at that and I say, that's persecution. Yeah. For someone on social media just to, to criticize the Christian faith or to say that they don't believe or, you know, the secularization of this country or whatever you want to put in there, mm-hmm. to me, that's not persecution. I'm able to read my Bible like I did this morning. <laughs> I'm able to do that with any possible threat that I can't do that, or I can go to church on Sunday and I don't have any possible threat to my life because I'm choosing to exercise my faith that way. Well, you don't right now, but if you had a business in which you were producing something and somebody came in and said, we're going to sue you because uh, you refuse to embrace the practice of homosexuality, uh, then you might just consider maybe now you're being persecuted. So, yes, there is persecution, in fact, I put a I put a big question mark in your book when you said there's no persecution happening in the church within the United States currently. That's just absolutely not true. It's well, just not that you're having your head cut off. You're just having your business cut off. Well, Chuck, I mean that as a lawyer, you should know that that case got adjudicated, right? That that they actually came out and said that that company had every right to refuse service the way that they. Well, did. that's true, but they that still got persecuted. Yeah. They got persecuted, and just because a judge ruled that that was persecution and not right doesn't mean they weren't persecuted. So, yes, there is persecution. It's just not at the level of what's happening in China or Iran, uh, places like that. It's coming, and it's coming very rapidly, and quite frankly, I'm going to make another statement, Trevor, and that is that we are very soon going to be subsumed under a resurrected Roman Empire. That's exactly what's happening, and uh, all of the nations of the former Roman Empire are being assimilated now through the attack of Russia on Ukraine. It's happening rather amazingly, and the Great Reset is for the very purpose of bringing America under that resurrecting Roman Empire. So we're going to see things that millennials cannot see because you haven't lived in that kind of a world yet. You only live in a millennial world where you see things through a millennial lens, but you don't have the broader view of what has been happening. Uh, and you're a wise guy. I, I didn't mean to use the years a wise guy, but you are a wise man and very perceptive. But there is an interesting thing. There's a viewpoint that comes from the millennial uh, age group that uh, is very challenging to those of us who are not of that age group, and you bring some of those views in and through your book, which I think are worthy to be discussed. I really do. And that's why I brought you on, because we don't do argument here on the program. We do reasoning. We think together. uh, But there are many issues. For instance, let's let's just uh, go to another couple of uh, topics here. Because the only reason we're focusing on the political is because we're facing a major, major election and the screaming and hollering is going around uh, and it's extremely unnerving, I do think. Yeah. All right. 
Let's talk about the matter of celebrity pastors. Why do you yeah. have a chapter called Celebrity Pastors? Well, because we have them. <laughs> Indeed, we do. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and so, yeah, I talk about celebrity pastors and, and being a dangerous, uh, you know, theme that's continuing to, to continue throughout our country. All right, so what is a celebrity yeah. pastor? So, so, obviously, someone that has uh, developed a brand or a, a mass following thousands, if not millions of people, whether that be through their congregation, uh, through, you know, social media, through large platforms. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, so a celebrity pastor is someone that's really embraced that persona, uh, where they're more interested in, in building a brand or, you know, influencing millions of people. Uh, but as I point out in that chapter, uh, you know, those, they're <laughs> calling a celebrity and then pastor, those two things uh, don't join together, right? Those, those they're, are like things non- that are they're, they're like biblical non-sequiturs, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. they just don't fit. They're anachronistic with regard to one another. Exactly. And uh, so I agree with you wholeheartedly. On the well, other hand, yeah. <laughs> on the other hand, uh, why is it that some pastors seem to gather together massive numbers of people and have mega ministries and others only have 100 in their congregation or 25? Yeah, I think there's a I think there's a myriad of reasons. Uh, I think one of the biggest ones is that um, you know most of those large churches have you know marketing wings of their of their church staff, uh, where it's their job to get their names and their brands out mm-hmm. there, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. You got to you know so I got to I got to be really careful about how I frame these. I'm not trying to demonize. <laughs> I'm not In trying other to words, you're not trying to debunk the church. People. You're not trying to right. debunk the church, but you are trying to analyze what's what is going wrong here? Right. What is the motivation? What's the heart of the problem here? And yeah. I think that's why I wanted to bring you on. Yeah. So the, the full title of that chapter, it really drives that home, Chuck. So the name of that chapter is Celebrity Pastors and Our Desire for a King. And the reality is, is whether we're talking about the Old Testament and we're talking about the time of judges when the people of Israel are crying out for a, a king other than God, mm-hmm. or you're talking about the New Testament where, you know, believers are arguing whether or not they follow Apollos uh, or Paul's teaching, mm-hmm. uh, we want to have a king that's not God. Oh. And so I think that's something that celebrity pastors All right. build that bill. We'll pick up on that after the break. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church.
Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. We have a very insightful gentleman joining us here on the program today from uh, Tree Huggers and Associates out there in the West Coast, the state of Washington. And uh, he himself is not a tree hugger, however. He is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and that is at the heart of his book. And that's why he says, maybe we should take a serious look at much of what's taking place in the church among professing Christians who supposedly are the living stones that are being built up into a holy habitation for the Lord. But is that really what's happening? Now, that has a lot to do not just with facts or information. It has a lot to do with the heart. Remember, Jesus' first message to the people, the big message there, the Sermon on the Mount, began with the be attitudes or the attitudes of being. So God is every bit as concerned about our attitudes as he is about our actions. He's actually more concerned about how we live than what we say we believe. Did you know that? Because the Hebraic version of the word believe is not how we think today. It's not how Greco-Romans think, that we give assent to certain facts, certain religious facts that God is God or that he's a creator and so on. No, the Hebraic version of belief is that I live according to what I say I believe. That has missed us hugely in our churches today, especially in America. All right, that having been said, I want to read a paragraph from uh, Trevor's book because I think in reading this, it helps us to get really at the heart of what he's talking about concerning uh, mega churches, celebrity pastors, and so on. He says, because of the age we find ourselves in, it has never been easier to build an audience, creating a following of thousands, if not millions, and becoming a celebrity almost overnight. Social media, podcasts, and electronic books make it so that someone can reach out and influence huge numbers of people all at the same time. Is this a blessing or a curse? Someone could use this kind of reach for the gospel and help people on a wide scale, but one post later pushed their agenda, leverage their influence for ad revenue, and build their brand. Discipling of people was never meant to be done on a scale of millions of people, and balancing this line is something that only this generation of believer has to deal with, because it's never happened before. There is no instruction manual and no history to look back on. The reach pastors have online has never been greater than it is today. If Jesus, while here on earth, only took on discipling 12 people directly, the thought of discipling thousands or even millions of people at the same time is preposterous. Whoa, that's a heavy statement there, Trevor. <laughs> yep. yep. The, and and that goes back to the subject of discipleship. Right. Do you know, and, and I don't know whether you've actually dealt with this aspect. I don't recall it, but... Jesus did not command us to evangelize. That was not the primary focus of his great commission. His great commission was go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them 
to observe or obey everything I have commanded. That was the heart of the Great Commission. That's why you couldn't do it in mega numbers. The only way you could get the mega numbers is to reduce the intensity of the gospel so that it makes it a lot of sugar to make the medicine go down and get a lot of people together. Yep. Couldn't agree more, Chuck. You just you just you put it together perfectly, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so see, I, I told you that I see a tremendous amount of insight in what you have here, and uh, we need to really be thinking about this because ultimately as persecution rises in this country, as it has in Canada, where pastors are being imprisoned, imprisoned in a so-called democracy, imprisoned for their presentation of the gospel. Well, I, well, <laughs> we went from agreeing to disagreeing real fast. So that, that case in Canada was so interesting to me, because I did see a lot of people use that as a springboard. This isn't just one case in Canada. This is many cases in Canada. Right. If you preach, if you teach what the Bible says about certain uh, areas of behavior that line up with Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you are automatically guilty before the, the uh, courts in Canada. So nobody, nobody was actually incarcerated for literally preaching the gospel or talking about Jesus, right? All of those incarcerations happened because of their response to the COVID restrictions that happened in Canada. Not so. Right? Not so. so. They all, they those all, are the yeah, only so. ones you know about. That would be. I would love to. I'd love to see those. And if you want to send yeah. those my way, that'd be fantastic. I'd yeah. love to look okay. into that further. So those are the only ones you know about. The ones that I saw that most people were talking about were people that were going and because they weren't uh, they weren't abiding by the yeah. restrictions. And yeah. whether or not we, agree I'm not with even. The re- I'm not, not even right? referring yeah. to that. I hadn't even thought about that aspect. Yeah. Okay. So those are the ones that I was aware of. I'm so going to tell you that. if yeah. a pastor preaches against homosexuality in Canada. He's guilty. He is guilty. So, yeah, period. I would love to. I'd love to. Yeah, that's and that. And I honestly, I can just speak truthfully. I just, I haven't heard of those. Yeah. And so, would love to. Would yeah. love to see okay. those if that's the case. And yeah. that's a very honest approach. Now, let's talk about uh, uh, race. Yeah. That's a, a big deal today. Absolutely. Or at least it's made to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yet my reading of the scripture is that there's only one race, and that's the human race, because we all came from Adam and Eve, and then we all came from Noah. So there's only one race. There may be some different colors out there, some different configurations depending on where people lived, but that didn't make them a race. So why is it that race, then, is such a big deal in America today? It's more of a deal today almost than it was at the time of the Civil War. Why? I think it's because people that come from different ethnicities have very different experiences than, than I do. I can only speak to my own personal experience, right? Uh, but as a white middle-class male, my experience and how I live and the things that I go through, the circumstances that I experience or how people treat me on a wide scale are, are very different. And so for me, when I even hear that statement, hey, we're all one human race, I agree with you that we are all humans, obviously, right? We're all homo sapiens. That's true. But the race- well, not according to some now. Some now are saying, no, I can I can identify as a donkey. I can <laughs> well, identify as this, that, or the other. In fact, we even have people, white people, identifying as black. 
Right. So that's a that's a whole that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> so I don't want to muddle okay. I don't want to muddle this part of the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Well, here, so here's the concern. Yes. Here's the concern. Everybody throughout all of history has been raised in slightly different situations. You can even have five children in the same family raised with the same parents in the same locations, and each one of them comes out with a different viewpoint. Sure. How do I know that? Because that's what happened in my family. That's what happened in my family. My father was a pastor. Does that mean that now they're a different race, so to speak, or that they're entitled to a completely different uh, treatment? No. No. If we were to take that approach, there would be no way to ever deal honestly and with integrity with people anywhere because everybody has a different story. Sure. And no one's arguing that point, Chuck. So well, what is the, the point we're arguing then under yeah. race? Yeah, so the, the reality is is that I have brothers and sisters in Christ that have openly shared with me the experience that they have experienced both in and outside of the church as uh, people of different races. So we're not even just talking about African-American community. We're talking about all races. Yeah. Uh, but, but primarily the community that I discuss in my book is that, they, that the people that I've spoken to and the experience that I've had, I was a pastor for two different churches and two different roles mm-hmm. um, and, and experienced it myself, is that we have uh, a, a completely different viewpoint for what Christianity looks like in this country because of our experiences, right? Like you said, having five kids in, in five different ways, they are going to experience the church all differently. That may be true. Well, okay, we're hold talking, on, hold oh, on just a minute. Oh, Why is more? it if we're, yep. if we're all supposedly worshiping one true God mm-hmm. and his son, Jesus Christ, and we're embracing the fullness of the scriptures, not just parts, but the fullness of the yep. scriptures, how is it that we end up attacking one another over some racial difference. Right. And the problem is not yeah. with the race. The problem is that people don't want to obey God. For instance, right. let me give you an illustration. 70% of African-American children are born out of wedlock. 70%. What's the problem there when uh, George Gallup says that the black community is the most religious in the country? The problem is very simple. They don't want to obey God. They believe in sexual promiscuity. It's a badge of honor, uh, largely in many places in the black community, even in the pulpit. Man, there's a lot to unpack there, Chuck. Oh, I'm Um, telling you, I've had black leaders on this program. Uh, This has been a big issue for me. Yeah. Well, the the reality is, is that you have to understand that you're, you're throwing a lot of different components that have a lot of context that come before them. Um, so even if, if the numbers, I don't, I'm not obviously looking at them in front of me, but if the, if the statistics of the born out of wedlock piece is true, it is there's true. A lot of, so there's a lot of dynamics that go into that, Chuck. And that, in other words, gonna we're going to start rationalizing people's behavior according to whether or not they want to obey God. So it's not rationalization, and I think to also generalize that all black people fall under those categories. Well, I don't believe all black people yeah. do. I just said seventy percent. But even the even the even the comment about just the community in general, right? I, I would not agree with that 
that description. On right? what and on that, what basis would you not agree with that the facts are the facts? The reason you won't agree with it is because you have a millennial viewpoint that justifies and rationalizes people's behavior, and that's where the Democrat Party comes in. That's what they do. And they, no, think, would... they think that what they're doing is being kind and considerate and helpful when, in fact, they're doing just the opposite. So they're destroying a... A, a, the black community while purporting to help. And that's, and that's not what I'm doing. I'm not rationalizing anything. But to say that, you know, black people from the pulpit or black people in general uh, are, are promoting promise, sexual promiscuity and living the lifestyle that you're describing, I would say, is inaccurate on a... On you a have scale. absolutely no basis to say that because the statistic is proving it that 70% of all African-American children are born out of wedlock. You're so not born out of wedlock unless you're gaining in sexual promiscuity. Period. That could be true because there are mass incarcerations where you look at the number of black people as opposed to the number of white people that are arrested or in jail. What does that have to do with whether you're obeying God or not? So you're, it has you nothing up, to do with it. You brought up a statistic about people being born out of wedlock and asking why that's the case. And there's a lot of reasons of why that is. You call that justification, but there are reasons behind why those statistics exist. Okay. Right. And so the reason I'm, I'm why telling you, this is, is total rationalization. It's a millennial <laughs> viewpoint that is leading the church to embrace the practice of homosexuality, to embrace transgenderism, all in the name of love. So by me saying that black people <laughs> want to follow Christ with the same fervor that I do, and that their communities have things that are working against them that don't work against me, you're saying that that is what is leading to the things that you're talking about. You're drawing a one-for-one parallel there. Uh, that that statement I can't relate to at all, what you just said. So anyway, we're having a, what this would, would be an open and honest conversation between two completely different generations with people, two men, who strongly want to see the Word of God alive, the Kingdom of God alive, and that those within our country, the church, would be the church and live like it. That's our goal. That's our desire. How do we get there? How do we bring correction to things that, well, obviously, are not the way God would have it? Get a copy of this wonderful book, Brick by Brick, Reconstructed the Deconstructed, $15 on our website, saveus.org. God bless and be a blessing. Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 